This podcast is made possible through donations from listeners like you and our partners at Tallman Equipment. They pride themselves on equipping their customers with the tools they need to get the job done right. They are dedicated to set the standard for quality, convenience, and reliability. At Tallman, your opinion is important to them. Rate and review any product or tool you've used on their new website at tallmanequipment.com. Line 11 Clothing Company, making apparel for their first responders with a positive message to patriots that you can be proud of. A proceed of the cost goes to helping our foundation ignite the fire for father engagement. Give them a follow at line11clothing on Instagram. You could also find them or email them at line11clothing at yahoo.com. And last but not least, Monzingo Knives. Each knife is created with craftsmanship that only a tradesman could provide. Find them on Instagram at Monzingo Knives and get your American-made Monzingo knife today. Welcome to the Show Up Dad podcast. This is a podcast for hardworking fathers. At this podcast, we recognize that fathers providing for their children is certainly important. But when men truly understand their unique role and gain the knowledge and skills to be great fathers, they can transform and impact future generations. Our guest today is none other than Kent Evans. He is the executive director and co-founder of Manhood Journey Podcast, and he's appeared on television, radio, and web outlets alike. He's spoken at parenting and men's events, and he's authored two books. Kent's life has been radically affected by godly mentors and his lovely wife, April. They have been married 25 years and have five sons and one daughter-in-law. He lives in Louisiana or Louisville, Kentucky, USA. Welcome to the show, Kent. Hey, David. Thanks for having me. Absolutely, brother. I wanted to go ahead and have you open up by having you tell our audience about your childhood as you remember, it, if you don't mind. Sure. Yeah, I grew up in Louisville, Kentucky, and uh, was the youngest of four kids. So I have an older, older brother and then two girls in the middle. And then I was the baby boy and uh, about 10 years between all of us, maybe 11. And so grew up in uh, kind of a middle class, a lower middle class neighborhood, uh, safe place, had neighbors, played a lot of baseball. And my dad was my coach. You know, he was around and uh, engaged in my life as a young man. And I have a lot of good memories as a kid of playing sports and hanging out in the summers and then going to parochial school here in Louisville, Kentucky. Wow. Yeah, no, that's that's such an awesome childhood, just to, the way you depicted it and, you know, painted that picture. I mean, that's that's what a lot of boys and girls dream of, you know what I mean, having that good foundation, well, and you know. And that's not to say there wasn't some drama. There was some drama for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then in my later teenage years, around age uh, 18, 17 or 18, right before I graduated from high school, my parents got a divorce, and that was formative, and that was not a, a fun season of life. But up until that point, you know, there was a lot that went right about my childhood for sure. Mm-hmm. How did that divorce, let's talk about that divorce, how did it affect you? Um, and it was really negative. Uh, as, you know, anybody probably would say, I was a high school senior, had a really high GPA, had no trouble with school, and then you kind of fast forward to going to college, and really I started to implode my sophomore year in college. And I'm not saying it was the divorce's fault or my dad's fault or anybody's fault other than I had some emotional challenges I didn't know how to resolve. Mm-hmm. And so I went from like an, an A student to like almost flunking out of college by the, the first semester of my sophomore year. So, um, yeah, it was not a pleasant couple of years, let me tell you. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to ask you, Kent, 
do you feel that like I I know I've had a lot of psychologists and and different people come on this podcast and they all kind of say the same similar thing, which is that children, right, tend to take that brunt as personal. You know, they they almost question themselves like, well, was why wasn't I good enough to keep my family together? Do you think that kind of played subconsciously into what was going on with you with this inter- internal conflict? Um, I don't think I ever. Well, I, by the, by definition. If it was subconscious, who's who knows, right? Cause yeah, I, right. I don't know. But but did I ever feel like I did something wrong that caused the marriage to split up? Not at all. That was okay. not. Um, that wasn't my struggle. Mine was just more of like confusion. You know, mm-hmm. it was just like I thought it was supposed to be different. You know, and this has been really good the first fifteen or eighteen years. And what happened? And it was more just confusion than it was like. Uh, internalized guilt, at least as far as I could tell. Mm. So it's kind of, kind of almost like a, an adjust, adjustment disorder, kind of like adjusting to what was going on and you couldn't control it, kind of, right? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it was one of those things where I just felt like um, I, I had had the rug pulled out from under me mm-hmm. and I didn't kind of know how to how to move forward. And we all found our level. Like, you know, that was a growth period for everybody. And, um, you know, for me, it probably led to me uh, making some really good choices later about where to find my strength and where to find my hope and not to find it in, in other people necessarily. So I think it taught me a lot. And uh, I got really close to my mom through the process and mm-hmm. even worked through some challenges with my dad in the process. So overall, it was something we all kind of healed from and, and moved on from to the best you could. But, mm-hmm. you know, it's like um, it's kind of like a death in the family. I don't know that you ever totally get over it. Yeah. But you certainly do learn how to live with it. Yeah. I've had a lot of people say that the death of a marriage is divorce and it's, it's just a total devastation. It's, it's a separation, you know, and it's, it's trauma. <laughs> you know what I mean? It, I think it, yeah. they say yeah, it's sure. five years that it takes to get over. You know what I mean? According it, that, that means if you're putting in the work, of course, you know what I mean? Yeah. But, uh, I wanted to say looking back now with your father, his influence that he had on your life, how did that shape your life to now? Man, a couple of the great things about my dad was he was a very hardworking guy. He went from, you know, essentially living in, in poverty uh, in Louisville to being a, not like a business mogul, but he was a very effective and successful sales guy in the Louisville area. And so he built a really strong uh, economic life for his own marriage. You know, he put me through private school and through college. And so... Uh, one of the things I learned from my dad was the spirit of uh, hard work. Um, mm. I can remember most weekends, uh, all I saw was the bottom half of my dad because the top half of him was underneath one of our cars. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he was always working on one of our cars and fixing something around the house. So I learned hard work. I learned how to fix stuff. Um, and he was a smart money manager. I learned some investment principles from him. And he was an engaged uh, guy at our little league baseball park like he was on the executive board he volunteered he coached and so i learned how to have a civic kind of give back mindset mm-hmm. from my dad i mean there were certainly some things that were more challenging but man there was a lot that i learned from my dad that was really really positive mm-hmm. how did he teach you how to deal with like conflict or change um yeah i'm not sure that he did mm. honestly if i think about what i've learned about conflict or change or leadership or spiritual growth or those things. I think mm-hmm. a lot of those I've learned from other people throughout my life. Not that he had nothing to teach me. It's mm-hmm. just that um, 
yeah, I didn't see there wasn't a model of like healthy conflict in our home. A conflict mm. in our home was a lot of screaming. Mm. And I think that's for a lot of people. I think that as fathers, we don't know how to deal with that because we tend to fall back on what we were taught, right? So whenever we grew up in a home that's chaotic, you know, like I, I like to call it a chaotic household, we tend to fall back onto that and, and fall back onto doing what is normal to us in a sense, you know, even though we know that's causing damage, we fall back to it, you know, and that's kind of the premise behind the show up that is to show other fathers out there that, hey, we can't do that. We can make the change, you know what I mean? It's, it's going to take hard work, but, you know, we can make that change. You know, because all dads face struggles, right? Yeah, I mean, for the guy who says he grew up with a bad father and therefore he has to be a bad father, mm-hmm. I think that's I think that's uh, that's illogical. It doesn't make sense. And for the guy who grew up with a great father and said, "Oh, I'll just accidentally be a great father," that mm-hmm. doesn't make sense either. And so I, I'm not a slave to my childhood. Uh, mm-hmm. That I know for sure. And part of that is because I think um, that's just true. You see a lot of examples in life of both really healthy um, parents who raise kids who get off the rails and vice versa. You see a lot of off-the-rails parents who raise kids who go on to do great things. In fact, I remember this story about the Garden of Eden where there was this one perfect dad. His name is God the Father, and then mm-hmm. his kids rebelled and his grandkids murdered each other. And so uh, I don't pretend to be a perfect dad, but I also don't pretend to be a slave to my upbringing either. Mm, I like that. I really do. Um, now, talking about challenges, can't. You talked about six common challenges you help fathers overcome. Can you elaborate on that, brother? Yeah, we've done a lot. Our ministry is focused on dads, and Mm -hmm. so we've done about 10 or 11 years' worth of work with dads. And um, we've had a lot of face-to-face interaction, a lot of events, and a lot of surveys. Uh, My background before the ministry was in marketing and business, and so I'm a bit of a customer survey kind of nerd. And so um, Mm -hmm. we've done a lot of work with trying to understand what are some of the common challenges that dads face? And what we found over time was there were these like six roadblocks that if dads can work their way through these roadblocks, uh, they tend to find their most effective version of their fathering is when they've knocked down some of these roadblocks. And what I, what I thought I might do, David, is what if I just listed them real quick? And then if you want, we can dive into one or all of them. It's totally up to you. What do you think? Yeah, absolutely. That'll work, brother. Thank you. Yeah, so the first one is ignorance, and that's not a bad word. It just means we don't know what we don't know. And so sometimes we grow up as young men and as young dads, and we go, golly, I don't even know what's involved in being a good, effective, or godly father, however you want to define effective. Mm -hmm. And so the step one is just ignorance. We just don't know what we don't know. The second step, if you remember back to high school physics, is the idea of inertia. And it's the principle that if something's already moving, it tends to want to keep moving. If something is not moving, mm-hmm. it tends to want to stay not moving. And so sometimes as dads, we want to do the right thing. We might even kind of know what that is, mm-hmm. but it's just hard to get unstuck and get the first step uh, going. The third roadblock is delegation. We kind of know what needs to be done, and we think, well, you know what? I'm going to have my wife do that, or I'm going to have the Christian school principal, or I'm going to have the sports coach do that. And so we kind of delegate the fatherhood responsibility. Um, the fourth one, and it's a big one for a lot of dads, is guilt. Since we weren't perfect or we made mistakes or, you know, the first three years of being a dad went bad, we assume the next 30 will too. So we just walk around with guilt all the time. Mm-hmm. The fifth one is procrastination, 
we think we've got all the time in the world, so we think, oh, yeah, I'll do that next week or next year, and then all of a sudden we're walking our daughter down the aisle or we're sending our kid off to college and wondering where all the time went. Mm-hmm. And then finally, the last one is despair. We just have had so much bad thing, so many bad things happen. We've given in to despair and just think there's no hope for us, and we don't know what to do next, and we feel like we're just too far gone and there's no hope. Mm. Man, those are all amazing. I mean, if you're really real with yourself and you really look in the mirror, I think every father can actually see where they've actually had these going on in their head. Um, yeah. What are the major ones that you see, like like when you're doing your work with fathers? Yeah, I think probably uh, the biggest one for me, mm-hmm. I've had, I've read through at least 2,000, maybe closer to 3,000, uh, survey answers to this specific question. We love to ask this question. Mm-hmm. And the question is really simple. It's what is your single greatest challenge as a father? Mm-hmm. And man, we've, we've gotten thousands of responses and I've read all of them. And if I had to put one word on all of those responses, it would be the word failure. Mm. Now, now, not because the dads are in fact actually failing. That's not it. Mm-hmm. They believe they are. Mm. They, they, ha- they have this internal belief that they're just not doing it uh, correctly or right or mm-hmm. perfect or enough. And so it's just this weight where they go, gosh, I just, I'm never going to be as good a father. Mm-hmm. Um, that might be as their own dad. It might be as their idyllic dad or the dad they see on TV or the one their wife wants. You know, there's all kinds of bars that we tend to hold ourselves up to mm-hmm. and most dads feel like they are falling short and that they're failing at some level hmm. I, I, and you know what you're absolutely right let's even take that a step further on that failure um i think a lot of times when we're where we get stuck is failure right a lot of times you don't want to move forward because of what fear shame right because that's that's the one where like number two you talked about that moving emotion i got stuck in my own marriage and, 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 and even with my family, I knew it was wrong. I knew I needed to make the change, but I didn't know how to even do it. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And it actually took like a, a pretty devastating thing for that to happen, for me to actually make the positive changes that I needed to do to keep my family together, to keep us moving forward, you know? And it's awful that things happen like that, but... You know, sometimes that anger creates change. You know what I mean? Because a lot of people won't change unless they become angry enough. Mm. You know? Yeah, sometimes. You know, I remember being with another friend of mine who's named David, and we were in Cleveland, Ohio one night at dinner, and we were having this conversation about this feeling of failure, this mm-hmm. kind of like, I'll never measure up. And I asked him, he's from uh, Peru, actually, but he was in the States for a while. And I said, David, like, this feeling of failure, do you have it? He said, sure. And I said, where do you think it comes from? Or, or what are you comparing yourself to? And, the re- and with the example I used, we were in Cleveland. And I said, so for example, if you were to compare me to my five-year-old in basketball, I look like I'm an NBA Hall of Famer compared to my five-year-old. Mm-hmm. But if you were to compare me to LeBron James, I look like a hack, right? I'm, I'm obviously really bad compared to LeBron James, but I'm really good compared to my five-year-old. And I asked this guy, David, I said, what are we comparing ourselves to as a father? Hmm. Because if you, say, if you say I'm failing or I'm falling short, well, there's a bar in your head. There's some kind of measurement 
that you think is the right measurement, and you're not quite there. And he had a very insightful response, and he said, well, I know what I compare myself to. And I said, what's that? He said, the perfect version of myself. Mm. And I go, wow, that is exactly right. Most dads are comparing themselves to this mythical creature. It's like a unicorn Mm -hmm. called the perfect me, the -hmm. perfect me. And I'll never... I'll never measure up to that. Well, I have good news. You're not supposed to. Like, that's not your job as a dad is to, mm-hmm. be, is to be perfect. And so, man, I can really relate to where you were and where you are, and I think a lot of dads can too. Absolutely, and that's one of the things that we teach at our foundation is that there's no such thing as a perfect dad. You can never attain that. You know what I mean? It's, you can become a good dad. You can become a better dad. You know, And it's going to take hard work, but you can never reach that level of Perfect, you know what I mean? Just being perfect, you know what I mean? Well, um, and you know, David, if you don't mind, let me make a brief comment on that. Yeah. The reason, the reason we want to be perfect mm-hmm. is because of pride. Mm. That is the reason. Mm-hmm. And so it's the only reason, right? Because mm-hmm. if I'm perfect, then what else do I need? I don't need no body. I don't need nothing. I don't need, I don't need God. Mm-hmm. I don't need anything, man. If I'm perfect, then I I don't need anything. And all it is is a very warped version of pride, and we've got to kill it in our own life. Mm-hmm. And I think that stemmed from shame. I had a, a, another you know, guest on here, Dr. Stephen Poulter, and he, he bases everything a lot on shame because there's a lot, a lot of truth to that. And um, he talks about how a lot of times pain, or not pain, uh, pride is masking arrogance. You know, And when you have this arrogance, which is the unhealthy version of pride, it's because we really have a low self-esteem, you know, whether that be taught to us between the ages of three to, to nine as children that we're never going to amount. We're never going to be good enough. You know what I mean? Um, we never get the out of boys, you know, so we forever grow up with this hole inside of us that we're always trying to, you know, get the reach to that pinnacle to where am I good enough? Am I good enough? And you see that even like prime example, I'm going to use me. Okay. For me, I grew up in a perfection household, okay, to where no matter what was going on in our home, we had to look perfect. We had to play that part. I mean, it could be World War III going on in our home, and we would leave the home, and we would look like nothing happened at all. And that's the way I grew up. So I always had to you know, put on this face, even growing up in life, that everything was going good. Nothing was going wrong even though I felt like the world was falling down around me. And I think a lot of fathers do that. I think we don't want to reach out, and that, that's what keeps us from reaching out to other groups and stuff like that. It's that pride, right, that, that false sense that, hey, we don't need help and everything, but deep down inside, we're, we're falling apart, bro. You know what I mean? Well, and I'm going to quote, I think it was the French philosopher Blaise Pascal, uh-huh. who first, who's the first one who said, there is a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of each man mm-hmm. which cannot be satisfied by any created thing. There's mm-hmm. a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of each man that cannot be shaped by any, God, any man-made thing. And I think sometimes we look for things like, like self-esteem, mm-hmm. and I think, really? Now, again, I'm, I come at the world from a biblical and Christian worldview, and maybe all of your listeners do not, and that's completely cool if they don't, but I think it's helpful if they know that I do. Yeah, because at the at the at the end of the day, I don't want my I have five sons, right? They're ages 21 down to age six. 
and the oldest is married. So now I have five sons and one daughter-in-law. Mm-hmm. And I don't care at all about my children developing a healthy self-esteem. I don't care at all. Mm-hmm. Because here's the deal. At the end of the day, I don't want them to esteem themselves. I want them to develop a God-esteem and understand who God says they are. Mm. Now, we could argue all day, does that create a good self-esteem? Sure it does, because what God tells me is I'm loved, I'm cherished, I'm his adopted son, I'm a co-heir with Christ. Like, there's a lot that's good about Mm -hmm. being a child of God. Having said that, it doesn't come from me, right? I'm not the originator of my strength. God is the originator of my strength, and he's the one who says I have value, not myself. And so it may be a semantics game, but I love the way Pascal put it when he said, there's this God-shaped vacuum, and we try to fill it with all kinds of stuff, right? Pride, mm-hmm. ego, money, sex, drugs, fame, you name it. And we're going to keep trying to fill it, and we're never going to fill it till we realize it's there for a reason. It's, there to, it's like a beacon. It's a, it's a homing beacon that points us toward God. No, I agree with you. I mean, I've tried to fill that same void with money, with, you know, <laughs> sex, with pornography, sure. with alcohol, with drugs, whatever. Whatever, you know, try try to deal with in my life. Oh yeah. Um, and it never fills it. That's why people who make a lot of money, it's never enough. I mean, I've, I've made a lot of money as a lineman, you know, I've been very, very fortunate to be able to do that in our trade. And, um, and I'm sure there's even people that, you know, who are multimillionaires and everything else. Um, but it never fills you. It's never, it's (laughs) never enough. That's that void you're talking about. You know what I mean? Yeah. Hey, if it were all just about money, every, CEO and pro athlete and, you know, best-selling author would quit after their first great year, mm. right? I mean, go play one year, get $8 million bucks to sign with the team and $20 million bucks for your first year, and then if it was just about money, they'd all quit. Mm. Who cares? I got $50 million, let's just retire. But it's something else drives them, right? Mm-hmm. Something else drives them, and sometimes that thing can drive us straight into the grave if we're not careful. Mm, no it can it's that that drive you know what i mean that keeps you moving forward i heard one time where it said that if the devil can't get in front of you to stop you he sure as hell will get behind you and push you too fast <laughs> right uh, i've never heard that exactly that's a great phrase you're exactly right and and it's true sometimes we get so caught up and i'm doing this i'm doing this it's for the greater good it's for this it's for that you know i I want to become the best version of myself so I can just give it away. You know what I mean? And stuff like that. We got, we get caught up in self when we should be yeah, just, yeah. you know, a, a lot of fathers can say, and I, I guarantee this, you ask a father, you know, will you die for your family? A good father is going to say, absolutely. No question asked. I'll eat a bullet right now. Right. But when you ask him, will you really live for your, for your children, for your family? That's what I want to do. I want to make that yeah. significance over success. Cause I've already tried success. <laughs> You know what I mean? Yeah. I, I want to live a life of significance. And, Man. And, and, and just to even just touch base on one other thing you said real quick, brother, is you're absolutely right. When you know whose you are, you'll know who you are. And that's what going to that, that God-shaped vacuum. You know what I mean? Going back to yeah. the biblical principles of who's the ultimate father, right? Yeah, absolutely. But uh, I wanted to talk to you a little bit more if you can explain to us about this manhood journey and why you started it and what problems do you hope that it solves brother yeah we were um i am currently 51 years old at the time we're recording this interview and Mm -hmm. when i was 40 when i was 40 so about 11 years ago so i had i had a 10 year old an eight year old a six year old and um 
we didn't know then we were going to adopt twice. So that's how we added boys number four and five were through adoption. But I was a dad of three boys, and there was a guy at our church who said, hey, why don't we do something for fathers and sons around this place, you know? And so we just started experimenting with events and, you know, afternoon studies and different things we were testing. And it, we, did, we, it, we evolved into creating our first product was Bible study curriculum for fathers to do with sons. And that went really well. And so we formed a nonprofit. And since then, we've launched some books. We built an email list, a newsletter, and now a podcast. And so there's a few pieces to the puzzle today. But basically, Manhood Journey exists to help dads become disciple makers. Mm-hmm. We're, we're not interested in helping dads become good dads or effective dads or productive or efficient. Uh, that's not what we're after. We're after the dad who says, you know, I really believe there was a God. I believe his son was Jesus, and I want to help my kids have a chance to know that same truth. And so we have built a ministry, you know, praise God, that we hope points men to that objective because there's a lot of great fatherhood tools out there. If you want to be a, a great sports dad or a great dad who teaches your kids about finance or get an education, all those things are awesome. Um, we want to help young men learn the gospel and learn their place in God's economy, and that's what Manhood Journey exists to do. Hmm. And how do you guys how do, how do you guys like accomplish that? Like, yeah, through a few different means. Today, we're reaching a lot of digital means. So we have. Mm-hmm. content on our website we have blogs and we have ebooks and we have all kinds of stuff dads can download we have a godly father assessment if you want to know kind of where you are on the road to godly fatherhood we've got a, a tool that can help you kind of test yourself and gain some resources so uh content curriculum the podcast is our attempt to help dads learn uh, how to be how to be real and how to how to face their fears and how to look at their inadequacies and kind of salute and go yeah I'm inadequate. Good news. You know, God isn't. And so <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, any, anytime the devil tries to tell me I'm inadequate as a dad, I just agree with him and go, you know what? You're right, actually. Um, the good news is I don't have to figure all this out. God's got me covered. And so um, for us, that's, that's how we do it. Education, we have some events. We've done events at the Museum of the Bible and retreats and overnighters and things like that to help dads connect with both their sons and now their daughters. As our ministry has grown, we've done more stuff in the realm of just fatherhood in general, not just fathers and sons. Mm-hmm. Seems like you've been at it for a while and it's just growing up. I mean, it's just blowing up. I mean, that, and that's awesome. That, that, that's goes to show you how much of a need this is out there right now more than ever. Um, what kind of trends or information can you share with us about like the state of fatherhood today that you've seen mm. in its decay? Yeah, man, I wish, I wish I could share trends that said, Hey, you know, the end is in sight. There's a, there's a, there's a light at the end of the tunnel. It's all going to get better. Um, however, there, there is no fatherhood statistic mm-hmm. that would back that up, unfortunately. Um, right now, all the fatherhood statistics that we can find tell us that the problem has gotten much worse in the last 30, 40 years, and it doesn't show any immediate signs of turning around. So I'll give you a few examples. For mm-hmm. example, today, about one in three, that's the most aggressive estimate some of the more conservative estimates would say one in four mm-hmm. children are growing up in a home in America with no father in the home at all. Mm-hmm. Um, that's no, no dad, no stepdad, no father figure. So that number, let's just take the one in four number. About 30, 40 years ago, that was one in eight or nine. So, so it's gotten 
two or three or four times worse in terms of father absence in our mm-hmm. country than it did in your and my lifetime. And then you may go, well, so what? So dads aren't around. What's the big deal? Well, the challenge is every single negative social statistic mm-hmm. can be connected to the absence of fathers. So, for example, violent crime, drug use, uh, gun use, uh, re- recidivism in jails, um, uh, even things like bizarre things that you wouldn't associate with absence of fathers, like infant mortality rates mm-hmm. are higher, uh, teenage pregnancy, school dropout. Every one of those things are twice or four times or seven or nine times more likely to be on the wrong side of the math when dad is not at home. Mm-hmm. And so what's happened is in the last 50 years, we've told dads, we've told men, hey, man, just go have sex with a bunch of women, give birth to seven or eight, 12 kids, don't bother any of them, it's okay, don't worry about it. Well, we're, we're currently standing in the middle of the culture that reaps that kind of behavior for 30 or 40 years, and it's not pretty. Mm. And I agree with you, too. I mean, everybody's, you know, all up in arms about this pandemic and the new Delta variant and everything like that. But what about the pandemic that's really facing America, which is fatherlessness? Oh, for sure. In fact, what's interesting is sometimes you find like conservatives will take one position or liberals will take another or progressives will take a position. And they tend to they tend to be uh, they fight with each other over the data. Right. Mm -hmm. Well, not when it comes to fatherhood, not when it comes to fatherhood. Um, In the case of fatherhood, Mm -hmm. everybody agrees. Mm -hmm. Dads are gone. It's bad. No, I, I agree with you. I mean, just the statistics alone, we get a lot of our statistics from the National Father Initiative. Um, they back us with everything we do. In fact, we have one of our programs, which is the Fathering at 15, um, that we use for fathers that we give away for free. Um, but, uh, yeah, the statistics don't lie. It, it's just progressively getting worse. I guess the question that I always ask fathers is, why? Why is it? Why are fathers becoming less scarce? Why are the fathers not assuming their roles um steve farrar in his book point man has a great saying in there and it says that the curse of fatherhood is distance why is that Mm. well uh this is just kent's opinion and you got you can get a lot of opinions from sociologists and Mm -hmm. uh, medical doctors and preachers and pastors but here's here's my two cents Mm -hmm. kent's two cents um there is a prize i believe there's a spiritual battle Mm -hmm. that is real and has been going on since this earth was formed by God thousands of years ago. Mm-hmm. And I believe there is, there is God and there is Satan, and I believe Satan is active, and I believe he is a spiritual destroyer, and as Jesus called him, the father of lies. And so mm-hmm. what Satan has always wanted, what he has always wanted, is to be God, to be God. Mm-hmm. So for a moment, just take that, set it on the shelf, and then consider... In the New Testament, in just Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, in the four Gospels, Jesus called God his Father 165 times Mm -hmm. in the New Testament. How many times was God called Father in the Old Testament? Most Hebrew scholars would agree the answer is zero. Hmm. He was called Yahweh. He was called Almighty. He was called Everlasting. He was called the Great I Am. He was not called Daddy. Mm -hmm. But Jesus said, hey, hey. New day. It's a new day. I want you to know God as your father. Hmm. Now let's go back to the original claim that I made that Satan is active. Hmm. He wants to be God. So then what does Satan want? He wants fathers. Hmm. His number one target on earth 
are fathers. Because when he gets fathers, he gets marriages, he gets families, he gets communities, he gets churches. But better than all that, he gets the picture of God. Hmm. The, uh, the filmmaker, Stephen Kendrick, I love the way Stephen Kendrick says this, the filmmaker at the Kendrick Brothers, he goes, it's kind of like we all grow up in a home and we have a picture of our own dad on a pane of glass that you can kind of see through, sort of, not all the way, and then you hold that pane of glass up to your heavenly Father, and you interpret who God is through the picture of the Father you had on this earth. Wow. And man, is that true. I just see that to be so true. And what Satan wants is he wants to steal mm-hmm. the image of God. He wants to be the Father. Mm-hmm. And so therefore, we've all been in a spiritual battle. The reason that fatherhood is so stinking hard and complex and difficult is because we have an enemy who wants to make it complex and difficult, so we will quit. But I have great news. Greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. And if you're a dad out there and you can hear my voice, you are not hopeless and you are not unarmed for this battle. And you are not overcome unless you choose to be because God wants to help you be the father that he has called you to be. Amen, brother. I I can't agree with you more. I mean— one of the things I always like to say is there's a spiritual war going on on the family and the harvest is our children. And the the reason being the way I took that quote is that he already has us. We're already been broken by our own parents or whatever, you know what I mean? Cause your parents could only give you what they had or what they knew. Right. So it's, it's continuously going on. It's like on being on a Ferris wheel, you know what I mean? Generational curse, whatever you want to call it. Right. It <laughs> sure. keeps going. Yeah, yeah. So he already has us. We're in our 30s and 40s trying to figure out what the heck's going on, how to be better, right? So now he don't worry about us. Now he's just saying, okay, well, the same stuff you're doing, you're going to do. Yeah, (laughs) next. Exactly. It's an assembly line, right? And it's it's continuously on down the line polluting that deal because he can't recreate. We know that. So what does he like to do? He likes to distort. He's done that in everything with with media, with women. I mean, through pornography. You know what I mean? you know, he took these women who are beautiful and he just totally distorts their own image in their head because he's after your thoughts. Yeah, yeah. You know? And so, you know, David, let me give some guys who are listening some hope. And I want to I break something mm-hmm. in the mind of, of a dad who's listening. There's got to be at least one uh, of a dad who's going to listen. And I'm going to break something in his mind and he's going to be super grateful that we broke it. Um, sometimes we think, one of the errant, one of the mistakes we make as dads mm-hmm. is we think, we think the way it works is like this. It's like a fire brigade back in the day where you had a source of water and you had 50 men and one guy handed you a bucket and you handed it to the guy to your left and then you turned to the right and then you handed it to the guy to your left. And the only way to get water from the source of the water to uh, the fire was to do the fire brigade. Mm-hmm. And then if you were the guy in the middle and you dropped the bucket, or you spilled a bunch of the water. Oh, my goodness. There was no recourse. that The, the place was going to burn down because you were a bad middleman. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's the way a lot of dads think about fatherhood. They think, okay, there's the source, and it's God's Word, and it's His inspired truth, and it's Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. And what I've got to do is be the great connector between God and men, and I've got to do it just perfect or my kids won't ever get connected. There is a better way. You could actually go to the source of the water and then bring the fire to the water. And so my job as a dad is not to paint the perfect 
picture of a flawless God-man on earth like me and mm-hmm. tell my kids, hey, you need to be like your dad. No, no. My job is to say, hey, let me introduce you to God's Word direct to the source, and one day you won't need me as your middleman. I won't be this, like, this six-pronged plug adapter that you have to work through to get to the power source. You can plug right in to the power source. And so a lot of dads are walking around thinking they are just going to have to be the conduit forever, and all of their mistakes get mapped down to their kids. That is not true. Hmm. That is not true. Hey, Dad, introduce your kids to the true one living God, and then the Holy Spirit comes and dwells in their heart, and then you can walk alongside them and be their brother in Christ till the day you both die. It's not all on you. And the reason you think it is is because of pride, and Satan has tricked you, and you think if you don't get this right, you're the middle guy in the fire brigade, and you've dropped the bucket. Mm. You, don't have to, you don't have to come that way. Wow, that's 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 pretty amazing. Um, it, it's true because I have a friend, a, a personal friend of mine, who, uh, you know, one of his greatest fears is that the sins he's done in his life are going to somehow fall on his children, and he's always asking about that. That's a, like a major concern. And I think that's a major concern for a lot of fathers, you know, because we're not perfect. You know what I mean? And obviously, if you're a good dad, you want better for your children. So that's that guilt that you talked about in those six roadblocks. I mean. You know, going back to being man. Well, and to be clear, David, one thing that I one thing I love to help dads see Mm -hmm. is, um, you know, the thing I mentioned earlier about self-esteem. That's not my objective. Mm -hmm. My other objective as a dad, I really don't want better for my kids. Mm -hmm. I don't. Mm. I want the same. Because here's the deal. Here's the deal. God is perfect. His Mm -hmm. indwelt Holy Spirit in my life is the best it can ever get. Mm-hmm. It's not like God gave me a dollar and my kids can get a dollar five, and then their kids can get a dollar ten, and their kids can get two fifty, mm-hmm. and we adjust for inflation. Whoa, whoa, time out! It's the same Holy Spirit that's been around since God carved out the mountains and the lakes. I just want my kids to have the same Holy Spirit that I have, because mm-hmm. then I know they're the adopted children of God the Father, and they will be just fine. Hmm. It's just creating that access, right? Just to, like an introduction, correct? Yes. Yes. Exactly. Wow. Exactly. No, I think that's that's super important. I mean, and it just goes to show you how our roles as influencers in our children's lives how important it is. You know, especially in culture and society. Um, why do you think the father is just you know you just touched base on that right about how important a role is, but why do you think culture and society just kind of just really hounds on us. I mean, you see that in like even television where, <laughs> where, you know, they're yeah. displaying a father like Homer Simpson or whatever. You know what I mean? <laughs> uh, golly. I watched way too many Simpsons episodes. Uh, <laughs> when, especially when I was in my earlier twenties, golly, that's been around a long time. Yeah. Now that I think about it, goodness gracious. Uh, I think it's, it's part of a, a cosmic drama mm-hmm. that's been playing out for thousands of years. And that mm-hmm. is, Satan wants to destroy. I love the way you said it. You know, Satan doesn't really create stuff. He just distorts mm-hmm. what God, you know, even in the Garden of Eden, he's like, did God really say, like, it's almost like he didn't even have an original thought. <laughs> he just, right. all he could do is go, you know, it's what God really said. And, it, and even when he was tempting Jesus in the wilderness, he was saying some of the things that were in Scripture in an attempt to try and 
get Jesus to okay. So you look at all that drama that's playing out, mm-hmm. and then you just realize that's part of it almost like it's almost part of society's job. To be honest, like we're in a fallen world, and their job is to tear down the work of God and to be anti-God and to be uh, destroying what God has set up, and that's the family, that's fatherhood. Look, man, God wants to be known as our Father. There's not a better title on earth mm-hmm. than Father, and I think second best is Mother. There's just not a better title on earth, and that's the primo title. And so obviously that's one of the things that culture is going to go after, just like in the last – oh, it's not new, but in my lifetime, how the culture has gone after sex because sex is great. In the confines of marriage and with my wife, it's a fantastic gift, and society looks at all the best stuff, fatherhood, sex, you know, the resources to make things go. And they go, let's twist those and distort those as bad as we can so they don't look anything like the original. Mm-hmm. And I think that's just the way it is, and, and I don't see that ever changing. But the good news is we have the power of the Holy Spirit, the truth of God's Word, to guide us through this whole mess. Mm-hmm. No, I agree with you 100%. Um, I kind of wanted to touch base a little bit about these two books you wrote, okay? I'm highly interested in them. Um, you wrote in one of those books that fatherhood's always being under attack. You know, it's uh, it's always under attack, right? Now, with that being said, how do you bring hope to a dad? Hmm. The, if I were to tell you uh, that, you know, you were going to be mugged today on your way out to your car, mm-hmm. I don't know where you are, David, but let's say you're going to walk from someplace to go get in your car after we're done. Mm-hmm. And I were to tell you, hey, man, you're going to get mugged. <clears throat> and the guy's going to come from this side of the building, and he's going to be wearing this kind of outfit. And in my opinion, I just did you a great favor. Mm-hmm. And, and quite frankly, you might walk out of the building a little bit nervous, but, but you won't be waylaid, and you won't be completely shocked. And you might even go out a different exit, or you might change your strategy because you knew the truth of the future battle. Mm -hmm. So I think one of the ways we give hope, which is super ironic, is tell people how it's really going to be. Look at what Jesus said in John chapter 14 or 15, where he said, I'm telling you these things so that you will have peace. Well, go look what he told them. (laughs) You're going to be betrayed. You're going to be mocked. They're going to hate you too. You know, he told them all this stuff that was not very pleasant. Mm -hmm. And then he caps it off with, I'm telling you all this so that you'll have peace. And oh, by the way, you know, in a few days I'll be dead. <laughs> right. Like, and you kind of go, wait a minute, hold up, hold up. And so part of the way dads need to have hope is not to put their hope in this world. Not to put their hope in this world, right? Mm-hmm. Isaiah 26.3 says that the, the guy whose mind is stayed on the Lord, who puts his hope in the Lord, will be in perfect peace. peace. Yep. Will be in perfect peace. When our hope is in the Lord, if we find ourselves tense and nervous and freaked out about fatherhood, guess what? Our hope is probably misplaced. Hmm. I like to even say that even further. One of the one of the things I always like to talk about is God's pace is peace. You will be let out in peace. So if you're feeling that anxiety, you're feeling that rush, you're feeling that, oh, you got to do it now. You got to do it now. Come on, jump. You know what I mean? That's <laughs> that that goes back to that saying where it says, you know, if, if the devil can't get in front of you, sure as heck will get behind you and push you faster. You know what I mean? That's yeah, that's kind of one of the ways I always make decisions in my life is, man, am I at peace with this? Am I having anxiety yeah. about this? You know? Yeah. And I think a yeah, lot that's of that's definitely God is not a God of anxiety. You're right, brother. He's a God of peace. 
no, but like as fathers, you know, we, we get rushed. I mean, sometimes we are faced with these decisions. It's like, you know, what are you going to do now? You know what I mean? You're going to, you got to move here or whatever. Like prime example, you know what I mean? We're, we're moving to California. You know what I mean? Everybody's like, why are you moving to California? Everybody's leaving. It's like, well, that's where God's, <laughs> that's where God's called us to be. You know what I mean? And you know, everybody's yeah. like looking at us like, you're crazy. You know what I mean? But you know, when you're in his will, you're in his will and you know, you just trust, right? Same yeah. way those children well, and good, trust and the, you. And the good, and the good news is, mm-hmm. if you're moving to California with all the people moving out, you'll have plenty of space. It's gonna hey, be great. Exactly. <laughs> Golden Coast, baby, man, that's the land of milk and honey out there. <laughs> but I wanted to say, though, I mean, seriously, I mean, we we're always, you know, looking to trust somebody as fathers, right? We're always looking to say, oh man, am I doing the right decision? Everything like that. But our children are looking at us too. They're watching us. They're they're saying, "How is Dad going to handle this situation?" Well, and to your point, man, we've made a lot of choices as parents. Mm-hmm. And I've told my boys, especially as they get older in their mid-teen to late teen years, I'll tell them, "Hey, look, we're going to make this decision, and we feel like this is the right choice for our family." Mm-hmm. But you know what? I don't know. Let's let let's see how it works out. Um, God might God has a great way of getting you back on track if you get off track, and mm-hmm. so. Um, I've told my boys, I'm not trying to bat a thousand. I'm, I'm not at all trying to have every single decision I make be flawless and perfect. Uh, I am trying to make wise decisions and make good choices and, mm-hmm. you know, think through scripture and reason and pray with my wife. And even when I stepped out to lead manhood journey full time a few years ago, um, that was a long process of praying through with my wife and building up some fundraising and building up some cash reserves, uh, and some things to hopefully make that a wise decision but mm-hmm. i told my boys i don't know man dad might be looking for a job in a year you never know um, right. and that's that's living on faith and i like to take my kids along for that same ride so that they know how to do it when they get older no you're absolutely right i mean that's that's how we're walking out too um i officially retired from line work uh march 17 2020 when the pandemic hit and i haven't looked back and you know god just continuously opening up doors for us and it's crazy because you're absolutely right i keep you know me being a journeyman lineman you know through the union i have a golden ticket that i carry which allows me to go to work from here to tomorrow i could have a job anywhere in the country okay Um, that's how great our trade is um but with that being said i keep that ticket and i keep my dues paid up because you never know but we're walking in faith right (laughs) yeah i mean there's a, I think of the Bible verse, you know, that Jesus sent him out and said, I want you to be wise as serpents and as harmless as doves. And there's, mm-hmm. there's a lot to be said for uh, thinking and planning and being wise. And at the same time, stepping out on faith as God leads. Mm. No, I like that. I like that. I wanted to kind of go back to, you know, those six roadblocks because you have me highly interested in those. Cause I, I think a lot of fathers are dealing with the same exact thing. Um, we talked a little bit about the, the curse of fatherhood is distance, right? And, you know, I wanted to touch base on why, like your personal opinion, why do fathers become avoidant when dealing with their families? Well, I think it's a mix of factors. I think um, probably to put it in as small of an answer as I could, mm-hmm. men, tend, men tend to go after the things they can measure. Uh, so it's one of the reasons why we're fascinated by sports uh-huh. uh, is because we can measure, right? I'm, yeah. I'm a I'm a 10 golf handicapper. My fantasy team has so many points, you know, whatever we see winners and losers. It's real clear to know, you know, at the end of a 
football game or basketball game, you know who won. It's the team that has the most points on the board. And so what we tend to do as men is we tend to go toward the things we can keep score of. Hmm. That, that could be our income, that I make more this year than last year, that I make more than my brother-in-law, et cetera. So it's income. It's a money measurement. Or in the area of sex, it's number of women you can sleep with or whatever, right? There's like mm-hmm. we try to find measurements or how many beers you can drink before you get you know, tipsy or all that, right? So we try right. to go and find ways to measure things like that. But what's really interesting is the things that are kind of the most important in life really can't totally be measured. I mean, how do you, how do you physically measure commitment or love or sacrifice? Uh, in fact, if you think of that parable – not the parable, not parable, but the story in the New Testament where uh, it talks about some people gave a lot of money, mm-hmm. and then there was this widow who gave two mites. And the idea was she gave even more because, because she because. gave out of her poverty, not out of her excess. And so how do you measure that? How do you measure faithfulness and honesty and all these things? And so part of the reason dads disengage mm-hmm. is because we can't measure so real, real quick story in this regard, David. When my sons were like, my oldest, two oldest boys were like eight and ten, plus mm-hmm. or minus. An eight-year-old dove off a chair in the basement, landed on the basement floor, knocked himself completely out. My wife thought he broke his neck. And um, this, all this drama goes down. She calls 911. They come. I wasn't home, and they're retelling me this story at night after I get home from work. And as my wife is retelling the story about my eight-year-old who dove off the chair, who was fine, by the way. He just knocked himself out. She realized in the middle of her story, and she looked at my 10-year-old, and she goes, Hey, Alex, when the paramedics got here, you weren't down in the basement with me and Jeremy. Where did you go? And he said, Well, I went upstairs. And she said, Why? And he said, To pray for Jeremy. All right, now, David, this is a 10-year-old kid who, when his brother was hurt, and he thought his brother's life was in danger. His knee-jerk reaction was to go pray. Mm-hmm. Now, here's what I want dads to hear in that story. Not Ken Evans is a perfect dad, or my wife is a perfect wife, or that Alex kid always made the right choices. Believe me, he didn't. Mm-hmm. But here's what I want dads to know. Him going upstairs and praying for his brother is better than him getting a 4.0 or acing the ACT, or getting a $300,000 a year job on Wall Street. Mm -hmm. Because that's what I'm measuring. Spiritual progress. Spiritual progress. And so for me, when you see something bad going on, and your knee-jerk reaction is to pray, I go, nice. Mm -hmm. Nice. Is that hard to measure? Yeah. Yeah, it's actually pretty hard to measure. But but that was a 70-yard pass completion, touchdown, Super Bowl champion moment for the Evans family, and that should be celebrated even more than when he got $20,000 worth of scholarships to university. Hmm. And most dads aren't willing to try to look into and peer into the glass of what am I measuring? What am I measuring? When my kids come home and say, Dad, I got an A on the test, we go, great job. And they say, I got a B, and we go, you're a failure. Why? Hmm. Because we're measuring their grades. Why? Why? Because that's what our culture is discipling us to measure. Hmm. Money, sex, drugs, influence, power, fame, Twitter followers. That's what our culture disciples us to measure. And that's why dads disengage from family stuff because most of the best family stuff 
is immeasurable. Immeasurable, exactly. And then that time too. I mean, I always say to fathers, you know, you can't buy time. You know, and time is influence. That, that time spent with your <laughs> children, right. you're influencing, you're, you're being that moral compass. They're looking to you to see, you know. And um, you're absolutely right. I mean, that was that was deep, brother. I, I like that about men measuring and, and, you know, goals. And I guess it falls back to kind of too, like, where is your value in? Right? Yeah, you're right. I mean, because if, if you're, exactly right. your values and morals are in, you know, in spirituality, which is in, in, you know, like me and you, we're both Christians. We both believe in Jesus Christ and stuff like that. You know what I mean? That's where our value is. And I have a story kind of similar with you is, man, when my brother died last year, the day before his birthday in October, I mean, I got the call and they're telling me his heart stopped. He was on a hunting trip with his wife. She had just performed CPR on him for over 30 minutes. Couldn't revive him. Oh, man. Um, I tell the paramedic, and I'm at the house watching my kids, okay? And I tell the paramedic, I'm like, put the phone to his ear. So I did. You know, and, you know they did. And I'm just there screaming, bawling, bro, because this is my baby brother. I love him. Mm. And, uh, you know, I'm just yelling at him just prank prank because i had no idea what to do i felt <laughs> so helpless in right. that moment but at the same token just that little prayer where i'm praying over him you know what i mean to wake up to you know get up and stuff like that you know what i mean i was comforted and it, it, you know what yeah. i mean people cannot believe me or not whatever i don't really care but i'm telling you that's how we made that's how i made it through his death Cause it was awful. Mm. You know what I mean? It was that. Man, well, I'm sorry to hear that. Yeah. You know, but, uh, I just wanted to, you know, tell you that little story. Cause I mean, you're absolutely right. You know what I mean? When you got nowhere else to go, I mean, believe it or not, you know, father is everything. When you hit that rock bottom, you're going to turn to God, whether you believe him or not. When you get <laughs> in that place where you can't get any lower. Right. Yeah. Well, to your point, man, where do we get our where do we get our strength and our identity from, right? If I if I'm I'm at a park right now and there's folks walking by occasionally, if I were to grab one of these guys who's in his thirties or forties and go, Hey, where do you get your worth from? Where's it come from? I, I know what a lot of these guys would tell me. I'm actually in a fairly affluent part of my town mm-hmm. and a lot of these guys would say like my bank account mm-hmm. you know, or my my uh number of homes I own or the company size that I run or whatever. And for, for dads who want to be free of like the pressure and the grind and the fear and the lack of peace, we need to get our worth from the work that Jesus did on the cross for us. Full stop period. And then we live out of that, right? I want to serve my family really well. I mean, my goodness, I run a fatherhood ministry for crying out loud, right? I want to be a good example. Mm -hmm. Paul said, Paul said, follow me, follow me as I follow Christ, Mm -hmm. as I follow Christ. So Paul didn't say, well, I'm just a nincompoop and I don't know how to do nothing and I can't find my head with both my hands. Like he wasn't some defeated idiot. He just said, man, I'm flawed. I don't even do what I want to do, and then I don't do what I, what I shouldn't do, and I do do what I shouldn't do. And Paul had this conflicted, but he said, you know what? But still, the things you've seen in me, practice these things. Hmm. Paul said that. These things you've seen in me. So I want to be a good example. 
But, bro, that's not where I get my value. That's not where I get my worth is how close to the mark have I stayed as a believer? Because mm-hmm. that's just a fool's chase, man. That's a fool's chase. Dad, if you're listening to me out there and you feel the pain and the pressure and the lack of peace of being a dad and you don't have it all together, welcome to the club. Neither do I. And you don't have to. <laughs> God has it all together on your behalf, and the debt's already been paid. Don't sweat it. Now you can live out of that freedom. Man, dude, that was just amazing, dude. And I know that's going to bring tremendous value to our listeners, brother. I appreciate it. I think a, a lot of fathers nowadays, um, you know, a lot of them don't go to church. You know, they're, you know, they get jaded by whatever, you know, these holy rollers or whatever, you know. But when we get <laughs> real guys like you and I who are saying we're not perfect, dude, but this is what God's done for us. I think that's more valuable of, you know, of a, of a nugget that we can use in our lives. You know what I mean? Um. Once again, I just want to thank you for coming on, brother. I mean, it's it's just been an honor to have you here with us, you know, just sharing your story. And I want to ask you one thing before we get off is can you tell our audience how they can reach you? Yeah, the best way to reach us is just head to our main ministry website at manhoodjourney.org. That's manhoodjourney.org. Right on, Kent. I super appreciate you coming on here, brother. And, uh, I can't thank you enough, and uh, God bless you, and uh, we'll be seeing you down the line, brother. The pleasure's mine. Keep doing what you're doing, bro. I really appreciate you. Absolutely. God bless.